Sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. Sorry. <laughs> the last book I looked at before I came up here, and that's what was in my mind. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be in verse, starting in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when, the, when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who puts all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Pray with me as we pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to come up here today and preach your word, Lord. God, I pray that today you would open the eyes to your truth, that you would re reveal new things to us, things that, are, that you've been revealing to us since the beginning, since your creation, Lord. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth today are yours and that you would just get me out of the way that everyone here would just hear you. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified today in this time of worship through your word. And I thank you for it. Amen. Please be seated. So today we're going to be talking about building the building of God's kingdom. And before we get into that, can I ask someone, anyone, maybe a kid, a child, to give me an example of a monarchy today? Does anyone know what a, I know we got homeschoolers, they know what monarchies are. Anaya, give me an example of a monarchy No, sorry. In the world sense, yes, a kingdom, a, a country, yes. See, a homeschool kid just put me in my place like, <laughs> like, wow. So give me an example of a monarchy in, in society today, in the world today. Okay. Any others? British? What's that? Norway. Saudi Arabia. So, what is what is what's an example? What's an example of that monarchy? What do we see in that in in say Britain? Is it a perfect monarchy? 
No. Why is it not perfect? <laughs> exactly. So all you got to do is look at the news today and see what's going on. You got princes writing stories about the king and also, but we're not going to get into that today. So because the prince we're going to be talking about is only speaking truth about um, the Lord God. So, and that is exactly the point, though. The monarchies that we see examples of today in our world are not based on a biblical standard. Now, Britain would probably say that they are because they think the queen is head of the church. But, uh, again, that's who's the head of the church? Say it loud. Who's the head of the church? Amen. All right. So, so those are great examples of the monarchy. Um, and we see God's people asking. So when we look back at the start of the monarchies in, in the biblical sense, um, we see God's people asking for a king in about 1020 B.C., and Saul becomes the king, right? And again, that's what the people wanted. They wanted a king. They, didn't want, they wanted a tangible leader in front of them leading. God gave them Saul. How did that go for him? Was Saul a great king? No, because he, he was not God's choice. And God had to give an example of that um, by letting them bring up, giving his people what they wanted. But then in 1011 B.C., we see, we see God's building his kingdom and with David, right? Again, is he a perfect king? No. He's still human, but he's God's choice. He was a man after God's own heart. We still see he, he, did, he did some bad things, but he was repentant, and God, but God put him there and gave us a good example. Then we see a series of good and bad kings. We see Hezekiah and Josiah are examples of good kings. Um, the Bible describes Josiah as a righteous king, a king who walked in the way of David, his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. We see that in 2 Kings 22. Hezekiah enacted sweeping religious reforms, including a strict mandate for the sole worship of Yahweh and a prohibition of venerating other deities within the temple of Jerusalem. He is considered a very righteous king in both the second book of Kings and the second book of Chronicles. But we see in 2 Kings... Um, what Hezekiah did, and Isaiah telling him what's going to happen. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried away to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, why not, if there will be peace and security in my days. So we see, as, as great of a king as he was in doing the changes that he created, he was way too passive. He, he didn't do the things God wanted. He, before that, he, saw, he let the, the, the people of, the, of Babylon come in and see basically everything they had. He's like, basically, here, here's the open doors to our storeroom. Here's everything. Come check it out. Well, what did that do? That just told them, that just showed them what they wanted to come and get. So we see him making foolish decisions, right? So Hezekiah and Josiah and the other righteous kings of Israel and Judah were imperfect men, like I said. And they could not guarantee the monarchy in Israel would be established forever. The future to trust 
their future to trust God perfectly, along with the idolatry of other wicked, more, of more wicked kings, reveals the Lord's justice in giving his people to Babylon and removing the glory of David's throne once enjoyed. Yet, there were those in the monarchy who continued, who outside the monarchy continued to reign even after in years of captivity. So, we see in Isaiah, if you would open up with me to Isaiah 11. And I'm going to be reading, everything today is going to be in the ESV, so if you have a different translation, maybe a little different, just so you know, I'm reading the ESV. So we see in those days they had, they looked forward to the righteous king that would come. And in Isaiah 11, starting in verse 1, we see him writing, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteous, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, the, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fatty calf together, and the, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. So what if I told you right now, Jesus is reigning? Amen. Can I get another amen? amen? Do we believe Jesus is reigning right now? Now, are we hanging out with bears and lions? No, that, I don't know what that's going to look like, and I look forward to that day. But Jesus is reigning now. This is the picture of what we get to look forward to at the, when his full reign, when he comes to his full glory. And we'll get into that a little bit farther. Well, Jesus is here, and we get to see you, and we get to be a part of it. That's the cool part about this reign right now. We are a part of it. Um, let's look at this together. I messed up my notes. I switched up a little bit as I was walking up. I did what you shouldn't do, so I apologize. So we're, um, we read in... 1 Corinthians 15 is was what we're reading out of today. So we read uh, verses 20 through 28. So real quick background on, the, on chapter 15. In verses 1 through 4, Paul is repeating the gospel. Um, in 5 through 11, Jesus appearing to the apostles and his followers. This is what he's writing about. In 12 and 19, explaining how there is a resurrection and there is a resurrection. And if not, then Jesus himself is not resurrected. And if so, your faith is futile, and we are still in our sins and most to be pitied. And that's when he goes into, we'll go back into 1 Corinthians 15, 20. That's when he goes in 
starting in 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, the firstfruits when he comes, those who belong to him. So we see in verses 20 through 23, the starting point of his reign. Was God in control still up until that point? Absolutely. But what, what he had, we go, to go back a little bit, we talked about Saul. The Israelites wanted a king because they wanted to be like the rest of the world. And they, so he put Saul in place, like I said. Then he brings David in. And, and David is the king that he wanted. And everything from that point forward is pointing. It, it, I could spend five hours today. I'm not going to do that to you all. But we could start. We could go, spend all day just talking about the Old Testament prof, prophecies of the, of the root of Jesse Coming, coming, and coming to fruition in Jesus. And this is where we're talking about it here. So Christ, having been raised from the dead, began his reign. Christ's resurrection is the starting point of, for his reign currently. For without conquering death, Jesus could not sit on David's throne. Had he just simply died and been buried like any other man, what would have happened? We'd be pitied, right? Because it wouldn't... The whole point was for him to be resurrected, and only, only Jesus could be resurrected. Because why? Because he's God in the flesh, right? Excuse me, I want you to drink. Um, so, he, if he had he simply died, we would have been just another man. But this was the first fruits. So we see in John fourteen nineteen, Jesus says, "Yet a little while." And the world will not see, will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. He is the first fruits. He is the first to be resurrected. And at that point, God gave dominion of the earth. To, so we look back, and God gave dominion of the earth to Adam. And Adam was supposed to manage and take care of the earth, but Adam fell. He sinned, he, the, and the fall came. Jesus did what Adam could not, live sinless, now Jesus has the dominion and authority. So we see in Genesis, God gave Adam dominion over what? The earth. What was he supposed to do? Subdue it. Basically manage it, right? Take care of it. He got to name the animals. He, he, was, he was the integral part. God created him to do that. But because of the fall, because of sin, because he was fully human, he sinned. And, but that didn't... That didn't thwart God's plan because that was always part of God's plan for Jesus to come because Adam could not live perfectly because he's man. Jesus, because he is man, because he was born of the Virgin Mary, correct, and, but because he was also fully God, he could live perfectly and sinless. Jude 24, 25, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy... To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We see in Jude, Christ is, has now taken over the dominion that Adam couldn't do. And that's what we have to look forward to. So, I ran through that really fast. That was the gospel in a nutshell. 
right? Okay. Because I, I want to camp out in this middle section um, most of the day. So I'm going to challenge you a bit to test your traditions. We all have, um, and we all, if you say you don't have traditions, that's a lie. We all have traditions of some, in some way, shape, or form. But um, test your traditions of, of what the rain looks like. Um, I'm not going to get into the different millennial rains because that's going to take that would take another three or four hours and several different sermons. But um, this would lean heavily probably toward this would lean heavily towards a post millennial view. But at the same time, I want you to take this God's rain right now that I'm going to be talking about and see it at even that even right now we can see it building and growing. So um, we see the beginning of his invisible reign, 1 Corinthians 24 through 26. Then comes the end when he delivers a kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And like I said, this is where we're going to camp out here for a little bit today. So we have this invisible reign right now that we're living in. We all agree. We're not seeing Jesus face to face right now. Although we look forward to the end, like we see in Isaiah 10, where I just read about, we look forward to that time where there is that perfect peace. Amen? In the meantime, Jesus is sitting on his throne at the right hand of the Father, and in an invisible reign, Jesus is building his kingdom. So what does that look like? We see where he is seated at the Father. We see in Hebrews 12, go looking at to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. But it says right now Jesus is putting his enemies under his feet. What does that mean? So right now we're in that reign. Jesus is reigning. I'm, I'm going to repeat myself a bunch today. If you don't know, by the end of this message, Jesus is reigning, right? For anyone who had any questions, Jesus is reigning. And we know this because we see it in Scripture, and we know that Scripture is true, correct? So, this is said in Psalm 110.1. I'm going to, um, talking about um, the Lord and the footstool. The Lord says to my Lord, this is a Psalm of David, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What does that mean? What does that mean to make your enemies your footstool? Well, in some research I I read, um, when archaeologists opened the tomb of Tutankhamun, They found a picture of his throne with a footstool that had the images of Egypt's nine traditional enemies engraved on it. Every time Tutankhamun sat on his throne, his feet would be on the necks of his enemies. The meaning is pretty obvious. He is proclaiming total domination over his enemies. Christ is claiming total domination over his enemies, right? So if we look in the book of Joshua, if you want to go to Joshua 10... Verse 22, we see the battle of Gibeon. I'll get there in a second. But we see the battle of Gibeon and the five Amorite kings. The Israelites have been destroying the rulers of Canaan, right? Moses died. Joshua takes over command. And he's going into Canaan and taking over Canaan. He's taking over what God told him to take over, what is the promised land. And um, we see... To back up to the story just a little bit, those kings are recognizing this, and now they're grabbing other kings like, hey, let's get together and 
and take out Gibeon and take out and fight Joshua and the Israelites because they're scared. They know what's going to happen to them. And we see in Joshua 10, then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave. Um, this is after they had all been defeating the army. These kings go run and hide in the cave. Bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men who were, had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them from five trees and hung them in the trees until evening. This is an example of God showing his dominance. And this is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve. He exudes his dominance over sin, over the enemies of his people, over the enemies of him. And this is what we have to look forward to. Um, so, obviously, you get your next stepped on, you're not going to be very dominant, right? So I have a question. The Griffin kids are my, probably my best example. Probably Henry, because he loves the rear naked chokehold. <laughs> Henry. Or Evan, whoever wants to speak up. I'm looking at Henry because he's got the hat on. He's cute right now. So, Henry, what happens? What happens when, we get someone, when you get someone in a rear naked chokehold? Uh, they tap out. <laughs> they tap out, right? And if they don't tap out, what happens? What happens if they don't tap out? Uh, they go to sleep. You're, you're going to tap out or pass out, right? So... The, it's just giving these little examples of what dominance looks like. Um, God, God is a dominant God because he is what? The one and only true God, right? He, he knows no other gods before him and none after him, right? So we know he has full dominance. And this is, this is the excitement that we have that we get to serve a God like this and that we are part, we get to be a part of this battle, that's, this kingdom building that he is doing right now. So God is telling us that Jesus will have dominion over his enemies. So who are his enemies? Who are, who are Jesus' enemies? Got an obvious one. Who's a number one enemy number one of Jesus? Satan, right? Who else is an enemy of Jesus? Right? His follow, Satan's followers, right, also. We see the rulers who legislate and fight against him. Can we see it in our own, in our own country and countries around the world of rulers, governments, anyone that fights against the rule of God, right? Because where, where do our rules come from? These are our rules. God gave us his rules. He gave us his law to, to follow. Who else are his enemies? Let me let me re -ask, let me ask this question: Who? What did you say? Death. Death. And you're getting ahead of me. You're getting ahead of me, Henry. You want to come up here and finish? <laughs> Probably do it better than me. I bet. No. Now you got quiet. What? No mustache. <laughs> I could I could draw you one on real fast. 
Okay. So, yes, death, and I'm going to get to that one. But who else, let me rephrase this question, who else was God's enemy? Us, myself, everyone here who used to be, who used to not know God. And those who don't know God now are still his enemies. Um, those, and those who are still to be saved are now and will soon, someday be called to be his children. So those, that sounded funny now, sounded good when I wrote it. It sounds funny when I actually say it. So those now who don't know, who don't know Christ, who will someday, they are enemies, will someday be saved when God calls them to himself, right? Those are the enemies. And Audra went to Ephesians 2 today, and I taught on that. Let's go to Ephesians 2, not 15, Ephesians 2. Um, Ephesians 2, 3. And just let's, let's go back and look at that for a second. Because how do we know we're enemies? Well, because the Bible says we were. In Ephesians 2, starting in verse 3, among whom, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we see we once were enemies, and we see it all through the Bible. I could take a whole half the sermon and just throw out the verses showing that we were enemies. But in the meantime... Jesus has commanded us to love our enemies too, though, right? Some of those enemies could one day be our brothers and sisters, right? Amen? That's what we hope for. Jesus spoke many times about building his kingdom. And this is the cool part where I'm, this is the part that I've been most excited about. Hopefully I can exude that excitement as I was finishing up this yesterday. I felt it, but... Um, He's commanded us to love our enemies, and some of those enemies could be one day our brothers and sisters. Jesus spoke many times about building his kingdom. And he gives us two examples of the mustard tree and the leaven. In Luke 13, 18 through 21, he said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches." And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He's growing his kingdom. We see in these scriptures right here, he's giving examples of growing his kingdom. And does, excuse me, <laughs> does a kingdom grow immediately? No. No, it doesn't. We see how, how long did the Israelites have to battle to take over Canaan. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. Seven. Old Testament? Seven. Seven years. What's that? Seven. Who's right? You or him? <laughs> so we see, it, it, and now in, 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 in the sense of time that we know it, seven years is fast. But let's look before that. God was building his kingdom even before, from the beginning of time, right? This, we're just... Doug's used the measure of like what our life is like 
um, on the whole specter of eternity and even just that of the existence of the world since God created it. It's small. And we want, we want this immediate kingdom built now, right? We want to go in like the U.S. Air Force, Army, Marines, and just take down Iraq and be, have the kingdom ours right then and there, right? Like back in the early 90s when they actually did that. So I don't know about now, but sorry. Um, but that's what we picture. That's what we want to see because that's what, what did I just say? That's what we want, right? God knows what's better. He's got a plan, and we are part of that perfect plan. And so we see the example of the mustard seed, one of the tiniest seeds there are. Um, Jesus used this several times in the Bible as an example. Uh, planting a, a tree, how long does it take to grow a tree? It takes a long time. We, we plant them. We got one that's, the kids are laughing at me because I look at it all the time. I go out and, hey, that tree's gotten bigger this year. And they all laugh at me. And we planted it when it was six foot tall, and now it's probably only 12 foot tall five, year, five years later. So we see how slow that grows. So think of this metaphor that he's using to grow his kingdom. But then he goes in and says, um, it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. He's building this tree, and the world is coming in and making its nests in these branches. He's growing his kingdom this way. This is what we have to look forward to. And we get to be that small part of it. Same with the leaven. If anyone's, I'm not a baker, so I'm probably going to butcher this because I'm learning to meat anyway. But um, he's, um, he's taking the leaven. We take a little bit, we take a little bit of, of, of the yeast, right? I'm looking at you, Kylie. Go with me on this one. He's taking a little bit of that yeast, and he's adding it to, at, the baker adds it to that bread, and then lops it off and adds it to a little, and it leavens more, right? And it spreads just like sourdough can take a little bit and, I don't know, years they can grow, right, with, with one original piece of yeast of, of leaven. And this is how God is growing his kingdom. Again, he's growing his kingdom his way. Right now, and this is the exciting part, this is where I believe so many of us, so many in his church, and even I can be blinded by it sometimes, get worried and think, how, what use am I? Because we look, at, we, we look at the attacks of the enemy, right? We look at the attacks of the world, the enemy's influence on the world and the world's influence on us. But right now, this is what we have to, as we have been commissioned as his, as his people to go out and spread the gospel, right now he's already bound Satan. Satan is bound. Go to Matthew 12, 22. So Jesus has already bound Satan. He's given us the power to proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. And we see this example in Matthew 12, in, starting in verse 22. Then a demon-possessed oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisee heard, Pharisees heard it, they said, it is, not by, is it not by Beelzebul, the prince of demons that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. 
And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So we see someone breaks into a house. Someone's in there. Are they going to freely walk around necessarily with someone in that house, the owner of that house? Not my house. I can tell you that much. They're going to have to, they're going to, have to bind me, right? Jesus has bound Satan. We know Satan had, is, has a large influence over this world, right? Jesus has now bound him and chained him. Does he still have influence over this world? Absolutely. Yes, we know that. We're not going to deny that. But he's bound him and he's restricted. Picture a dog on a leash, on a chain out in the yard. He's only, he can only go so far and be released when God allows it. We see in Job a private example of that, correct? So this is the, this is the power that we have that we know nothing, Satan is not going to do anything to us that God hasn't already allowed. So we should not be fearful of going out into the world and spreading his gospel because I tell you what, whoever is with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. I don't want to be the scattering one. I want to be the one out there in the harvest with Christ. I want to be the one out there. He says, the harvest is plentiful. The, the, the harvester is what he needs, right? He's, he wants us to go out there, unfearful, going out there and proclaiming the gospel to this lost and dying world. If he called you to himself and made you a son or daughter, he has equipped you to go out and build his kingdom and be an integral part of his kingdom building. I, for one, want to be the one, like I said, who gathers and not scatters. So let's go um, read another in Matthew 28. Go to Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. So in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is that? What do we call that? Say it louder. Say it with authority. And what does that mean? To go out and do what? Make disciples. What? So how good are we doing that? I got you that one, right? We all could do better, right? I know I could do better. But we are the foot soldiers. We are God's harvesters using to preach his gospel, to spread his gospel. He is setting the captives free from the bondage of sin and we get a front row seat as he's building this kingdom and using us to grow his kingdom. Um, and then we see the last enemy is death. Christ has broken the power of Satan who 
had the power of death. Hebrews 2.14, since there, therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, power of death, that is the devil. In 2 Timothy, go with me in 2 Timothy 18, one, sorry, 1.18, Colons are really good to put in your notes. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 through 14. So we know Satan is already defeated. He's a dead, man. He's a, he's a, a dead angel walking, right? And Jesus is going to drive that final blow when he fully comes to reveal. But in the meantime, we've seen 2 Timothy 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day, <clears throat> until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound of the sound, words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit and trusted you. Paul had it figured out. Amen. Now, he was heavily afflicted and tested rigorously. And I cannot say at all that I am anywhere near the great person that Paul was. But this, just this one passage right here is, is, is the fire and the power that we have to go out. God's entrusted his truth to us. God has given his spirit to us to go out and spread his gospel. And this is what excite, this is what should excite us. We, again, I'll say it again, we can't live in fear of what we believe and what is possible that Satan and the world can do to us because our God is bigger than that. And he's building his kingdom, and he's brought us together. He's brought everyone here that believes and professes the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's brought us all together to go out and make disciples, make more disciples. And it's hard, it's hard sometimes. I'll give an example of this week. We have our Friday night Bible study. After this week of prepping for this and all the stuff that went on over the course of this week on top of work and being on call and all the stress of um, four kids. Catherine's looking at me. So, but um, with all the stress that's going on, it's easy. We were close to not having it. We're like, you know what? I got, I got the message. I don't do this often. I got to preach on Sunday. Let's just maybe take the day off. Um, and... Laura and I talked about it, and we're like, no, we're not going to do it. We've got to power through. We're going to do it. It's not going to be in our own, and it wasn't going to be in our own power. It was going to be in the power of Christ that we could do it. 
And had we not done it, seeing now what happened that night, um, the, the, who was invited over and, and the possibilities that we have, we had an opportunity. We have, what was there? How many was there, Brady? 10, of, 10 kids? So about 10 kids, 10 or 11 kids. And the usual group of about seven or eight. And um, Brady, who is, I'm going to put him on the spot, is just awesome to see him spreading the gospel in his school. And, and just seeing him grow is super exciting. Um, he brought a young lady from his, his track team that um, doesn't know the Lord and is questioning and wanting to know more. And got to have a great conversation with her. And, um, and one of the other young ladies brought a foreign exchange student from, I'm going to butcher the name of the country, I Tajikistan or something. <laughs> what? Tajikistan. See? Homeschool moms. <laughs> I'm just, uh, never mind. I'm going to make a joke about myself. But um, who is a Muslim? So we had a Muslim at our Bible study. And we get to, we're going into a book study now on um, more than a carpenter. And she wants to read that. And I don't know where that's going to go. I'm hoping and praying where I know, I hope it leads. But if we're not being the hands and feet of Jesus and going out there, can he do it without us? Yes. He's going to find a, he will find a way. He's Jesus. But how awesome is it to be the hands and feet and get to go out and proclaim a gospel to a lost and dying world. This is the mission that we should be on. This is the kingdom that Christ, that God is building, that Christ is building right now. And, the, and we get to be a part of it. And I challenge everyone to look for those opportunities. I'm not saying everyone's going to have a, a Bible study with 10 plus high school kids on a Friday night that stay till midnight, but not everyone can do that. I can barely do it. But the, the, the blessing it is to see and, and watch your kids be involved in that, that's exciting and that's what we get to do. So I challenge everyone to look for those opportunities, to be the foot soldier, to be that harvester. I like the harvester aspect better because growing up on the farming side, so I like harvesting things. Um, so I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy for God. So as we, as we start, to, start to go... Um, Close out. Um, if the music team wants to come up, this last point is going to go by pretty fast. I don't want to step down and have you guys walking up like I've done before. Um, we're back in 1 Corinthians 15, 27 through 28. Now, I'm not going to lie, this one was a hard one for me. And this is probably the one I studied the most for, trying to understand it. And I'd be lying if I said I fully understand it. How to... How to Articulate it well. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted to who all things in subjection are under, are under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. And... Pastor John MacArthur probably summed it up the best, so I'm just going to use him. It is evident that God is the Father who gave Christ his authority and in whom the Son perfectly serves. Christ will continue to rule because his reign is eternal. But now he will reign in his former full and glorious place within the Trinity, subject to God 
in the way eternally designed for him in full Trinitarian glory. Do I look forward to Christ's reign, visible reign? Absolutely, we all should. I do look forward to the one day when his reign will be seen with us in our own eyes and we will worship him face to face. He's re, and he's revealed to us in his glory. But in the meantime, we should be praising and rejoicing in the fact that we are his now and we have brought out, he has brought us out of our sin to proclaim him and to tell others about him and to use and to grow his kingdom. So, as I leave with two things right here, um, I say it, I say Maranatha, right? Lord, Lord, come now. And we want that. I agree, we want, we want that. But at the same time, I would challenge you where I said, I'm going to challenge your traditions. I challenge you to not, yes, do we look forward to that? I'm not going to deny that whatsoever. But in the meantime, let's look at this as, let's go out. And instead of praying that God comes soon, like now, that's a defeatist view in my image, in my, in, my, in my opinion. We should go out there wanting to proclaim the gospel and building this kingdom that he has created and he is building right now. And that's where I challenge you to challenge your traditions of, of what we look forward to. As much as we look forward to it, in the meantime, this is where we're at and this is what we should be doing, is proclaiming his gospel. And I'll leave you with these two things. One is a statement from R.C. Sproul. Even as the world seems to get darker and darker, we can be sure of one thing, that Jesus is on his throne and nothing is happening apart from his kingly authority. His sovereign reign allows us to trust him in even the most difficult circumstances of life and gives us hope that our troubles are not ultimately in vain. Let us be encouraged by these words and press on confident in the sovereign reign of our Savior. And finally, in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with the glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Pray with me as I pray. Father God, you're an awesome, mighty God, and that doesn't even do justice in describing you, Lord. You are the perfect Father, the perfect Lord, the one and only Lord, God, and you created us in your image. We thank you and we praise you for that, that, that in this time now, we, those who you've called to you to be your children that you use us us to go and spread your word God you use the youngest of the young a five year old that can't even read yet to profess your gospel 
use someone like me who does not feel worthy at all. But God, you make us worthy and you give us the power and the strength to do it. It's not in our own doing. God, we, we thank you for this. We, we, we know and trust that we are on the winning side. And this is what we have to look forward to is you build your kingdom using us, Lord. Satan is already destroyed. He's, the destroyer is already in chains and only able to do what you allow him to do. You've set us free to go out and proclaim your word to a lost and dying world. Lord, I pray that you would convict those here today that struggle doing that as I have in the past, that you would convict them to go out and just profess your gospel boldly because we're able to without the fear of what man might say because it's your gospel, your truth, the word that sets us free, Lord. It's in your name, in son Jesus' name I pray, amen.